to, to praise and honor God for who He is. He's a great and mighty God. And He has a, he has a great and mighty universe of things that, that we may not ever understand. But we can worship that God. And He loves us so much, He sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. Amen? Amen. Boy, I'll tell you what, if you're here last Sunday morning, you got to hear a great message from Kevin Sheldon, did you not? I'll tell you what, and I'm sitting over there thinking, boy, I've got to follow him next Sunday. Rob's going to be gone to Louisiana with Paul Daly Ministries and down there, and you pray for him because I've seen some videos and he needs some prayer. The way he rides horses is kind of scary. So, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, get on Facebook and you'll see where he took a little spill when he was climbing a hill. So just uh, keep him in your, in your prayers and, and thoughts as they are down there. I know he's been witnessing, and, and, and people have come to know Jesus down there while he's been down there. And that was a great message. And, and I tell you, I have to say, uh, the challenge that he gave us, uh, I was a little bit worried. But then when I preached Wednesday night and realized what, I was, what God had given me then, and then when I, when I put to the things together today that I'll be preaching, I realize God is just tying everything together. And that's what he does. He uses each and every one of his people who are called by his name to share that gospel message. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. Wednesday night, it fit right, right in with the study. And matter of fact, it really, like I said, just ties it all in today. And if you didn't get out of the message last Sunday or last Wednesday, you have a calling in your life then maybe today you will realize that you have a special and unique calling in your life, and that calling is the gospel ministry. Each and every one of us has been called to be in the gospel ministry. This is because God's gifts and his callings and his plans are irrevocable. In the New Living Translation, the words penned by Isaiah in Isaiah 55, 11, the Lord says, It is the same with my word. I send it out, and it will always produce fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to and will prosper everywhere I send it. God says here, I have given you my word. His word is Jesus. He is salvation for all mankind. God loves all mankind. You need to get and understand that today. That's why it's so important for us to understand that we have a gospel ministry. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants to see all mankind come to know the love of God through his son, Jesus Christ. He says, I am the one who sends it out. This is God's message. This is God's word. He sends it out. He sends it out through us. God sent Jesus into into this world so we would know God's love. Jesus says, no one comes to the Father unless they come through me. And God says in his word, it will always produce fruit. And Jesus confirms that by telling us, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you will produce much fruit. Now, God's word will always accomplish all God has for it to do. But I tell you what, if you're a sinner sitting here and you're saved by the grace of God, you know what the word of God can do in your life. This, is, this part reminds me of Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. This means that God is going to take little old weak me and little old weak you, and he's going to accomplish everything he has for us to do through us. And finally, he says, and it will produce, it will prosper everywhere that I send it. Everywhere he sends you, you are going to prosper through him if you abide in him. You are saved, born-again believer here today, if you 
are here today and saved and born again. That means God has a plan. He has a specific plan for you. And his callings and his purposes for your life are irrevocable. That's what the scripture tells us. Let's, get, let's, let's start back from the very beginning of that verse in Isaiah 55. And we're going to read that whole chapter, Isaiah 55. And, and, and today, today I'm reading this out of the New Living Translation because I just happened to pick that Bible up the other night and I was flipping through it when I was uh, looking at this and I come across this saying the way it says it. I, I like it a little bit better than most. And it says, If anyone thirsts, come and drink. And if anyone has no money, come, take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does not do you any good listen to me you will eat what is good you will enjoy the finest food come to me with your ears open wide listen and you will find life i will make an everlasting covenant with you i will give you all the unfailing love i promised david well this is a good promise right here see how i used him to display my power among the people i made him a leader among nations you also will command nations you do not know. And if you don't believe that, wait till the millennial reign. You'll be reigning with Jesus over many nations, and you won't know any of those people. I promise you. And the, people, uh, the peoples unknown to you will come running to obey, because I, the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, have made you glorious. And that's good news right there. God has made you glorious. Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to your God, for he will forgive generously. My thoughts are not like your thoughts, God says right here. My ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. The rain comes and the snow comes down from the heavens and stays on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing the seed for the farmer and the bread for the hungry. It is the same with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. You will live in joy and peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song, and the trees of the field will clap their hands. Once where there was thorns, cypress trees will grow. Where nettles grew, myrtles will sprout up. These events will bring great honor to the name of the Lord. They will be an everlasting sign of his power and his love. And again, let me reiterate to you that God has a plan for your life. My favorite saying now is this, and, and if you've been re if I've been passing that book around and you've read out of that book, you know what my saying is. God wants you to go where God wants you to get more than you want to go where God wants you to get. Now, some of you are hearing this for the first time, and you said, what did he just say? I'm going to say it again. God wants you to get where God wants you to go more than you want to get where God wants you to go. You get it? Do you understand it? Should I say it one more time? I'm going to say it one more time just for good, good measure. God wants you to get where God wants you to go more than you want to get where God 
wants you to go. Let's take the story of the Tower of Babel just for a second as an example today and how the contrast between the message, the ways of God, the God, the divine worker, how he works and the way that men try to work. And it's apparent here in the story. God wants man to go to heaven. That's, that's, God wants you to be with him in heaven, right? And he's got a way that's going to get you there, right? God cries out, or, but man, he has his own way. And man will cry out this right here. He says, come, let us build ourselves a city, a tower whose tops are in the heaven, and let us make a name for ourselves. But we're not here to do that, are we? Least we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But God begins his work in secret and works curiously in the lowest places, in the lowest and the least of men. He calls an individual from the crowd, trains him up along and patiently, and finally, he makes him his partner. He places him in a body of believers, just like this body here with others, and he ch channels himself through them for the purpose he has, and he pours himself out to the world through me and you. Man's method, more often than not, ends in a tower of Babel, a Babel of confusion. Now, take this picture. This is, this is something that's floating around the Internet right now. Marissa's going to bring it up. There it is right there. Look at that picture for just a second. I just, just, just visualize it for just a second because I'm going to change that picture here in a minute because I don't believe for a minute that's what God's plan for us looks like. Have you ever seen this on the Internet? I believe this is the opposite of what the Bible actually teaches about God's plans for our lives. The top one should say God's plan, and the bottom one should say your plan. So put that other picture that's up there. And this is going to be up there for the rest of the service, so you can get a, just a real good visual of it, and then you can understand more when I go along and I speak about what I'm speaking of today. Now, I believe this is the more accurate picture. And why do I believe this is the more accurate one? Because God's plan for your life has already been planned out from start to finish. From start to finish. God knows what he wants you to do, exactly what you want to do. He's got your life planned out, and all he calls you to do is just follow his plan but what happens so often as we get off of that plan that god has for us because remember god wants you to get where god wants you to go more than you want to get where god wants you to go right why don't we why do we have to or why don't we have to read we don't have to read really very far in the bible we, i mean you start right at the very beginning of genesis and you'll find out that man has messed things up. Adam and Eve, God had a garden plan for them. They messed it up right off from the start. God found righteous men and, and a man in the name of Noah, and everybody else around him was wicked, so God wanted to hit that reset button. He hit the reset button. He flooded the earth, but nothing really changed. Things were going along good. Man decided to make a name for himself, build a tower to Babel. And what happened? God had to confuse their plan because they were trying to be gods and make a name for themselves. So he scattered them all across the earth. And God called men like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, to be holy. And they, and they did okay for a little while, but then they turned to idol worshiping and other things along the way. And other reasons kept messing them up. And they ended up in slavery in Egypt. 
So this time, instead of God hitting the reset button, God puts into place a plan that he always had. This was a plan from the very beginning. It was not a different plan. It was not a reset plan. It was the plan that God has always had from the very beginning of time. Before he even created men, he knew exactly how he was going to save them, and he was going to send Jesus to save them. He said the world needs a Savior, so he sent Moses, and he sent them down there, and he gave them the Passover by way of lamb and blood. And it was a representation of who Jesus is in our lives today. He led the people straight... Get this right. He led them straight out of Egypt to the promised land and along the way, moving all the impossible and movable objects out of their way like the Red Sea. He made their way straight. He made their path straight. He gives them the promised land, but they don't want to go in and defeat the pagan people who were in the land, so they were disobedient to God. And God sends them back out to the wilderness. So they end up wandering around the wilderness again, and they, lose, they lost the straight path and the plan that God had for them to accomplish. And they continue this cycle of repentance, obedience, and then back to disobedience through the judges and through the kings until today, God, he he became silent through that time, through the judges and the king. He became silent, but see, God has a plan that is straight and to the point, and only we could ever mess up what God's plan is for our lives. God's plan is a straight plan. It's a straight path. He wants you to go from here to here. Now... After this 400-year period where God doesn't speak to his people, God sent them a man to announce and prepare the way. And this is, where, this is where Kevin's sermon really tied into my sermon for me. He said he's going to prepare the way for the Savior. Make straight the path of the Lord. John the Baptist steps into the Jordan River. He begins to call for repentance and starts baptizing people. And many come to see the Messiah that had been promised as arrived. But Johnny B. says, I am not him who you come but I prepare a way for who is to come after me. Jesus steps onto the banks of the Jordan. He steps into the waters there at Bethany and is baptized. And then the voice of God says, This is my son, who I am well pleased. And for the first time in 400 years, God speaks again. He spoke again. And he has announced the Savior of the world is coming. The Spirit of God descended down upon him, and Johnny B. says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The silence has been broken, and the, and the word of the Lord begins his ministry here on earth. And that brings us to one of my favorite men in the Bible, and his name is Simon. But not for long. It was a sabbatical year that was going on. So in the sabbatical year, the plowmen in the vineyards, they stopped. They ceased their work. They didn't do anything. They let the land rest. And it's kind of funny, isn't it, Harold? how Jesus planned all of this out long before that it would be a sabbatical year so everybody could come down to the Jordan River and see what was going on. The whole country arose in masses, and they poured down to the Jordan Valley. They, they come out of Jerusalem, they come out of Judea, and they come from all across the region to see what was going on there. They heard about this man who was confess, confessing to be baptized for the repentance of your sins. So they had to go, and they had to look. Andrew and Simon along with their friends James and John. They were these guys. They didn't really have a lot to do. They, they could have done some fishing, but, you know, they probably had done some fishing for a while, and they thought they caught enough, and they said, let's go see this man. Let's go see what's going on down there. So they go down there, and they see John the Baptist, and John's pointing to Jesus. Andrew and John, they go talk to Jesus. They hang out with Jesus. They find out this is the Messiah who has come to take away the sins of the world. And Andrew goes. 
he first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which translates stone. The Greek translation for stone is Petra, from which we get our word now, Peter. Now today I want us to see three things in the life of Peter. These are the three callings that, Pe that Jesus had in Peter's life. And these should also be applied in our lives as well. And the first calling is this right here. He called him to follow. Matthew 4, 16 and 17 says that the people who sat down in darkness have seen a great light. Upon those who sat in the region and in the shadows of death, light has dawned. From this time on, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of hand is near. The first calling, like I said, is to follow Jesus. Jesus called Peter out of the darkness into the marvelous light. And when Jesus first meets Peter, he knew him. He knew exactly who he was. And not only did he know who Peter was, he knew who Peter's daddy was. That had to leave an impression upon Peter. That had to, to give Peter some, well, this guy, this guy knows me. He knows my dad. Christ not only calls Simon by his present name at, at the first sight of him, but he tells him his future name also. He tells him who he's going to be. See, that's God's plan. From beginning to the end, he already knows it. He already sees that in each and every one of you. Not only should we, you know, he, he, said, he said that implies the stone. His name implies stone. And it implies not only that, that he should be a lively stone in a spiritual building, the church, but he would have considerable hand in that work. He would abide firm, be steadfast to Christ his, his, in his Christ's interest, notwithstanding the fall, because he himself did fall more than once, and he continued to constantly move forward until his death. Jesus doesn't ask Peter to follow him right there on the spot. But he followed because Jesus revealed to Peter that he was the Messiah. And he revealed to Peter who he was going to be. Peter seen the light in the person and was drawn to that light. And he was followed Jesus. Jesus is calling you out of the darkness just in the same way he called Peter out of the darkness into the light. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Who follows me shall not be in darkness, but have the light of life. And I have come as the light of the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. When Jesus first showed up to you as, as the light in your life and lit your life up, you made a choice to follow him. Forsaking all, you left your old life behind to pursue Jesus. But we all know that both physically and spiritually we have fallen. Physically we have, we have all been walking along a path and out of nowhere a stone, a stick, a threshold, a cord, a rope or something will trip us up and make us fall. Maybe it's just a fall and, and no apparent injury really comes from that fall. Or maybe our hands get scuffed up and our knees get scuffed up. Then, then again, maybe it's a fall that leaves us a little bit more permanently damaged. Whatever the case may be, we can usually get back up and continue down the path, right? And not to pick on my wife, and she's up there in the, in the children's church. But I remember a trip not so long ago. We went up to Arkansas to the Hawksbill Crag. And it's a pretty good hike down to the Hawksbill Crag. And, and Terry tripped over a log 
while she was carrying her, her, her niece, her great niece, and she fell and she hurt her knee. But that didn't stop her from continuing on. No, she'd, she had seen all the pictures and all the, all the people talk about how beautiful it was and how dangerous it is to go stand out there on that Hawksbill Crag and look out overneath it. And she wanted to move forward. She, she said, I, I don't care. I'm going to see what I come to see. Spiritually, we fall and we fail. And at times, it will remove us from our narrow path that we're supposed to be on. It may put us in a ditch even. But my life as a Christian and many others, and I know that there's a lot of you in here can testify to that that that'll happen in your life. But Jesus is always there urging us to continue on and to continue to follow him, no matter what happens in our path. The steps of a righteous man are prepared by the Lord, is what the Bible tells us. And when this word, and when this world becomes, because of its sinful and its fallen world that we live in, not a cause of God, you need to get that right. That's why, that's why we don't, God's plan isn't all this up and down stuff. Jesus would never lead you into a pit. Jesus would never lead you into a place where you might drown. Jesus will never lead you into a storm on purpose. No, Jesus will walk right beside you down the path that he's got for you. It's when we ourselves think we know our path better than him. And what happens is we'll get up and we'll fall down into a pit. You know, I don't know... But the song says he's a mover of mountains. He makes the mountains move out of the way, that making your pathway straight. The reason we end up climbing mountains sometimes is because we fall into a pit. And we need to realize that that's the problem. It's this world and it's our own strifes that cause us and put us on a path like that. God's plan for your life is straight, it's narrow, it's hard, and it's difficult. But he's right there beside you walking all along When you feel like, I tell you, when you, when you feel like you're in a, a deep pit or you're walking through a deep valley, you must remember Jesus will pull you out of that, those places. He will pull you, he will grab you, he will lift you up, and he will pull you out when you call upon his name. And when you feel like you have let him down because of your, your past or because of the sins that are in your life, and you're afraid that he's just going to, any, any minute, just pour out his wrath upon you, when you're at the very bottom of life's barrel, he calls out to you and he says, you are mine and I love you. Psalms 107, 14 says it no better than any verse. He said, he brought them out of the darkness of the shadows of death and broke their chains in pieces. Amen. You are most definitely called out and set apart to follow Jesus. And when you are called out and follow, guess what happens next? He calls you to fish. You're called to follow and you're called to fish. The second calling of Peter was that he called him to fish. The Gospel of Luke is a chronological account of the life of Jesus. Probably because Luke was a doctor, he was very detail-oriented. He, 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 and he was very specific. Plus, he had the Spirit guiding him as he wrote those verses. And, and, that's, and, and then we also read in Acts all the things that he chronologically done about, he wrote about the church. So we know that he was very good in his grip. And he wrote this right here. But in, in Luke, we'll, we, we, see that, we see that Jesus is baptized. He goes into the wilderness. He is tempted by Satan. And after this, Jesus returns in the power of the Spirit, goes to Galilee, and he teaches in the synagogue. 
He come to Nazareth where he was preaching. Now, he, do, he does all of this alone. He's by himself. He's just traveling around preaching. He just got out of the desert, moving forward. He, he's preaching in the synagogue, and he, and he goes to Nazareth, and, he, and he's preaching the scriptures there of that he will be fulfilled in him, the scriptures that will be fulfilled in him out of Isaiah. But they ran him out of town, so he moves on. He keeps, he keeps moving north. And he, he heads up to Capernaum, and he casts out an unclean spirit there. And while he was there teaching in the synagogue, he left there, and he enters Peter's house and heals Peter's mother. But I don't believe Peter was there because the Bible doesn't say that Peter was there. I believe Peter was just a few miles over. He was over at Bethsaida, at the little fishing village of Bethsaida. And he was out there, and probably it was on that night that he'd been fishing so long that Jesus steps into Peter's house and heals his mother-in-law and he makes his way that next morning over there to Bethsaida and he's there and he's he's uh teaching the people and the people start pressing him and and they start pressing him down towards the shoreline but Jesus needs a place to retreat from and so he can speak to the people and speak to the huge crowds that were there but it's the disciples the ones he just the ones who had started following him are there in their boats cleaning their nets right there on the shore and Jesus asked Simon Peter can I step into your boat to speak to the people Peter said, come on board. They step out. He steps out. And he speaks to the people. And then Jesus sat down in the boat and continues to teach the people on shore. And when Jesus had finished speaking, he, he said this to Simon. He said, take the boat into deeper water. And if you put your nets in the water, you will catch some fish. And Simon answered, Master, we're, we're, we worked hard all night long trying to catch fish, but we caught nothing. But you say to put your nets in the water. So I'll do it. I'm going to do it. I believe in you. Because he called him master. He already knew him. Nobody calls somebody master unless they already know who they are. So he calls him master, and they go out, and they drop the nets down into, into, the, into the sea. And, and, and they caught so many fish. They started filling up the boat. But the boat was starting to sink, so they called their buddies over, James and John, come over here. And they filled the, their boats up, and both boats were starting to sink. The fishermen were amazed at the many fish they caught. And when Simon Peter saw what was happening, he bowed down before Jesus. He said, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. James and John, the son of Zebedee, they were so amazed. They did the same thing. Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be a fisherman of men. When the men brought their boats to the shore, they left everything behind and they followed Jesus. And we've been going through the book of John on Wednesday night, so some of you are hearing this again for the second time. But Peter called Jesus master because he already knew who he was, and he already decided to follow Jesus way back at the Jordan River. And he falls at Jesus' feet, confessing that he is a sinful man. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be a fisherman of men. We are called to follow. We are called to fish. And once Jesus changes your life, the plan for your life will start to take shape. And he puts you on that straight path, and you start following that plan. And we go where he leads, and that is to a lost and dying world that needs to know who Jesus Christ is. We go out, and we fish for men and women who are actively being sought by the Holy Spirit. Now, how do we know that he is speaking to them? Well, I'm glad you asked. We don't. We don't know. We don't know until we ask and we get into that conversation. And we start a gospel conversation with them, and they say, you know what? I've, been, I've, been have, I've got some questions I need to ask you. Why on earth would they have questions they need to ask you if the Spirit wasn't dealing with them? 
God needs us to be the people that's going to go out and tell about his son. Uh, he, he will prepare the catch. He will put the catch into the sea, and he will tell us where to go place our nets. And all we have to do is go in, haul the fish in. Now, it's not our catch. No, it's his catch. It's to his glory that we catch all of those fish. We share our story and God's story to the people who need hope. And when we do, watch out for the catch because it's going to come. Watch out for the catch. You will catch the fish because they will be his. It will bring him glory. The seas are loaded with fish, and we need to fish. I'm not fishing with Robert anymore because I don't catch no fish when I go with him. Bob does. We fished for hours yesterday, and then and there was very few fish caught. But sometimes it's that way. Sometimes we catch very few fish. We're not going to catch all the fish that are in the sea in one catch unless it's the Lord's will and it's the Lord's plan. So we must just be faithful to go out and fish. And sometimes the fishing's bad. Yesterday it was bad. It was bad. I didn't catch one fish that looked like a crappie. So, To a fisherman, I'll tell you what, nothing tastes better than a fresh catch fried right up on the shore right after you catch it. I've made many trips to Canada, and, and we've gone up there, and we fished out there in those wilderness lakes, and we would, we would take everything we needed to fry fish right there on the bank after we caught them. And nothing tastes better than that right there. They're some of the best I've ever had. And in this next calling, Jesus says, he says, Peter, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. We read in John 21, 15. So when they had eaten breakfast and they were eating fish that morning, they had just caught. They had just, Jesus had went again and told them to go drop their nets for a catch. And they probably said the same thing. We've been fishing all night. We ain't caught nothing. He said, well, go drop them out anyway. And they go out and they do exactly what he tells because they're being obedient to their master, their Lord and Savior. And Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon Peter, son of Jonas, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, then tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? Get that. Peter was grieved because he had said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Three times Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Maybe that three-time denial might come to mind that Peter had just done not too many days ago. And maybe this was a, a confession that obliterated that that denial. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Because Peter knew the, that the Lord knew his heart. And guess what? Jesus knows your heart today in here. He knows exactly who you are. He knows the person you can be if you're willing to follow his plan. 
He knows your heart. He knows your motives. Keep that in mind. Jesus follows by asking Peter to feed his sheep. Teach them to observe all things that I have given you, the words, the wisdom. Tend for them. Care for them. Teach them to be disciples because disciples make disciples that make disciples that make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. We teach them who Jesus is by teaching them the word of God. If you love Jesus, you will feed his sheep. Jesus Christ seeks each and every one of us out, not for obedience, not for repentance, not for a vow, not for conduct, but for your heart. Because if he has your heart, all of those other things will follow. Every one of those things. That is the distinguishing characteristic of a true Christian, that, that Jesus seeks us first to surrender and that's surrender the heart. And by believing in him, and we believe that when we do that, we will surrender everything to him. All else will follow. And love begins giving. Loyalty and service and repentance will follow. And even hatred of self-will and the hatred of self-seeking and the hatred of the worldly seeking that we do in our lives. We will put all of that stuff to pass because we love Jesus and we have given him our hearts. Jesus says that narrow is the gate and difficult is the way. The way is straight because it's hard. The way is straight because it is narrow. Can you imagine the, the walls of a, of a real tight canyon where there's only enough space for you to squeeze by? That is how straight the path is that God wants us on. God's plans for our life is a straight path. He doesn't want us to go through all this other stuff. But he's always there to help us when we go through those things and bring us out of them. There are two and only two paths that, that leave this world. One leads to Jesus. One leads to hell. The one that leads to Jesus comes with some benefits. That's heaven and everlasting life. The one that leads to hell leads back to total darkness. It's void of God. It's void of His love. And it's just utter loneliness. Have you been called to fish for other men? Have you been called to follow Jesus? Because if you've been called to follow and you've been called to fish, then you've also been called to feed. Your first calling is to follow Him. And when you follow Jesus... All you'll want to do is fish and feed. Are you ready to follow Jesus? Because he has a plan for you. He has a plan for each and every one of us. Jesus wants you to get where Jesus wants you to go more than you want to get where Jesus wants you to go. He has it all planned out. He has all the contingencies already worked out. Everything has been worked out for you. It's a straight path. As we bow our heads, I know that there's probably someone here today that just needs to stop just believing in who Jesus is, but get into a knowing relationship and start following who Jesus is. Start following that path that he's got for you. You need to make a commitment to Jesus today. The Holy Spirit is calling you today to do more. And I bet there's somebody out there right now that knows that they need 
to believe in Jesus and commit to him. You know it because you're feeling that incredible weight, that incredible heaviness and that weight that's in your heart, but at the same time, it feels like you're going to float right out of your seat. If you're feeling that today, Jesus is calling you to step out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. Step out and give your heart and life to Jesus. Our instruments are getting ready to start playing. The altars are open. If you're a Christian here today, you may be one who's... Uh, believes in Jesus and has not been following him very well because your life's plan doesn't look like what the scriptures tells us it's going to be. Maybe you need to make a recommitment to what Jesus has for you in your life. But if you're here and you're lost and you're dying and you may be on that other path that goes to hell, I'm telling you today, friend, that you can give your heart to him and everything else will follow the love, the obedience, the joy, and you will follow Jesus, you will fish for Jesus, and you will feed his lambs and sheep. We'll not tarry long. The altars are open. If you're being called today, don't wait. Come today because tomorrow's never promised.